School is out. And uh, families are traveling all over America on vacation, and they are hitting the highways by the tens of thousands, and they are putting on thousands and thousands of miles on their cars and their minivans, and they're taking in the sights of America, the best this nation, this country has to offer. And social media, social media is inundated with pictures of smiling and laughing children all having a great time, and moms and dads enjoying their own company and the company of their kids. And the truth of the matter is, those kids are fighting. (laughs) He's on my side of the seat. She's touching me. I don't want to watch that movie. It's my turn to pick a movie. I'm hot. I'm cold. I'm hungry. I don't want to eat there. When are we going to get there? And dads and moms be like, don't make me pull this car over. Yeah, uh uh-huh, and and we're going to get there when we get there. And then there's, uh, Dad, I have to use the bathroom. When are we going to stop? Just one more exit. Just one more exit. (laughs) Oh, just one more, just one more exit. Husbands and wives, honey, I think you took the wrong turn. Quiet, I'm not lost. (laughs) Oh, it's just a beautiful thing. Every family, every family has struggles at times with bickering and infighting and arguments, including the pastor's family. No. Can you imagine that? Well, my kids have a lot, a little rotten sin nature, and they get it from their mother's side, and that's understandable. <laughs> every family, every family struggles with bickering, with arguments, with infighting, including church families. Every family does. Church family is no different. Arguments happen among God's kids. People get mad at each other. And for you who are new to the church and you thought, wow, I finally found the perfect church. Sorry to burst your bubble. You know, uh, don't get me wrong. We are a blessed church. And this is a pretty special church. It really is. God has been good to us. But you know what? There's one word that would really help that would really help any family that's traveling and trying to live together. And there's one word that would really help a church family as we do life together on planet Earth. And that one word is humility. Say that with me. Humility. Humility is having or showing a modest or low view of one's own importance. Humility. Humility can solve a whole lot of problems even before they happen, if we're just humble. Humility can smooth out a lot of rough edges, a lot of hard feelings, if we just choose to be humble. Humility will keep us from saying things or doing things that we should never say or we should never do. Humility. Humility is what I need in my life. Humility is what you need in your life. Turn to the person, tell them, and say, this is what you need in your life. We all need humility, okay? And we're going to learn humility this morning from a very unlikely teacher. Of all people that's going to teach us, who's going to teach us humility, it's Peter. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 5 through 7. And you may say, well, why is Peter so unlikely? Do you not understand who Peter is? Peter is Mr. Who's the greatest of them all? 
Peter is, though all may forsake you, Lord, I never will. He's anything but humble. But he's changed. And if Peter has changed, I can change. And if Peter has changed, you can change. Now, Peter has just been teaching pastors, exhorting elders in the first four verses of 1 Peter 5. He's been encouraging pastors like myself, elders, to be humble servants, to care for the sheep sincerely and not to take advantage of people financially and to work hard and maintain a right attitude with right motives and, and to be a godly example for the flock. That's what he's been telling pastors, elders to do. And now he transitions in his exhortation into this area of humility, and listen as I read 1 Peter 5, starting at verse 5. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with what? Humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. Casting all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. So, four different things we're going to see about humility this morning. This is the first one. When it comes to humility, swallow your pride. Say that with me. Swallow your pride. And and he starts off by talking to the younger guys. Verse 5. You younger men... Likewise, be subject to your elders. So, so, so he's talking to those who are both younger in years and those who are younger in the faith. Now, you may say, well, why is he going after the young guys in the church? Because sometimes young men walk around with a big chip on their shoulder, egos bursting at the seams, this sense of invincibility about them. And because they've got the whole world figured out because they've just graduated with a degree in know-it-allology. Have you ever met anybody like that who's young? Yeah, they just know it all. And by the way, they're first in their class, and they will volunteer themselves to straighten you out when it comes to views on politics or economics or theology or marriage. By the way, they've never been married. <laughs> yeah. They think they've got it all figured out, but they haven't got it all figured out, okay? And Peter is basically saying to the young bucks in the congregation, you don't know it all, okay? Don't necessarily think you know what's best, because you may not. And stop challenging everyone on everything. And stop giving the pastors or the elders a hard time, because you don't know it all. Now, you may say, well, who are the elders? Now, the elders can be taken two different ways. Within the context of this passage, it's the elders who are leaders in the church. It's their positions. If you look at 1 Peter 5, 1... Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder. And he's saying, so, so the pastors, the leaders, the elders, he's saying, be subject to them. He's saying, yield yourself to their, their, their control, their actions, and their authority. That's what he's saying. He's saying, listen to them, respect them, honor them, obey them, and willingly place yourself under the authority of those in leadership. Be subject to them. He's saying, don't fight the church leadership on every front. And don't slander the church leadership behind your back. Because they're dumb, or they're uneducated, or they're out of step with the culture. Now, listen carefully. That doesn't mean pastors or elders are always right. We are not. And it doesn't mean that we don't have anything new to learn. Because we are all always learning. 
but it doesn't, and it doesn't mean this, it doesn't mean you can't disagree with those in leadership of a church, but don't you dare be disagreeable, and there's a difference. We, we live in a culture of disrespect and dishonor. Don't you bring that into the church family. Don't you bring disrespect and dishonor into the church family. There's other scriptures clear on this. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, and 13. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So he's saying, guys, show appreciation and esteem the church leadership. That's what he's teaching. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be what? Unprofitable for you. So he's saying, not only esteem them and appreciate them, but practice submission. Now, this is weird for me to be preaching this because I'm telling you what to do with me and the rest of our church staff. But, but you have to understand, I didn't write it. God did. And I am called to preach the whole counsel of God and not to skip anything. So the passage before this, when God went after the elders and went after the pastors and making sure you're not taking advantage of people and you better be a good shepherd, and you, I preached that. And that was aimed right at me. And now we come to this passage right after it, and this is aimed at you. And so God is going after both of us, okay? So and if you missed the last message, too bad. He went after me. Just tr- trust me on that. So, so the elders can mean position in the church. Elders can also mean age in the church. Look at verse 5. You younger men likewise be subject to your elders. You who are older matter to God. And you who are older matter in this church. There are some churches where old people don't matter. You need to understand, you matter in this church. Gray heads are glorious. Say that with me. Gray heads are glorious. Let me say, what is that about? Well, it's scriptural. Proverbs 16, 31. A gray head is a crown of what? Glory. It is found in the way of righteousness. So I want everybody to look around. Anybody who has gray hair right now, go ahead. Okay. Now, some of them are not as gray as they used to because they're hiding their glory with, with hair dye. Okay. But, but, but understand. They are still glorious. Proverbs twenty twenty nine. The glory of young men is their strength. Say it with me. The honor of old men is their gray hair. Or no hair for some of you. Leviticus nineteen thirty two. You shall rise up before the gray-headed and honor the aged. You shall revere your God. I am the Lord. So I want everyone who is 60 or older to stand right now. Everybody who is 60 or older. We want to honor these people. Let's do it. Woo. Okay. Now, you may say, I don't feel old. I'm 60. Why'd you pick 60 and wasn't 65 or 68? Blah, 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 blah. Because if you're 60, you are ancient compared to most young people. And there's another reason. My wife said, just make sure they're 10 years older than us. <laughs> okay, listen carefully. We want to be a church that honors those who are older. God is honored when we honor those who are older. So, so when it comes to humility, first, we all need to swallow our pride. There, there's a second thing. When it comes to humility, wear it well. Say that with me. Wear it well. Look at verse 5. 
You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Okay, now let's put this in the context of clothing and wearing clothes. Wear it well. First thing I want you to notice what it teaches here is one size fits all. Humility is one size fits all. All of you. So it's not just the younger, it's also the older. Now, older people usually dress different than younger people. And vice versa. I mean, and now Paul is saying, or Peter is saying, I want you to wear the same style of clothes. So look around you at your parents or your grandparents or somebody older, younger people, and think, I got to wear what they're wearing. And you who are older, look around at a teenager and say, I got to wear like, dress like that. He's saying, we're all wearing the same brand of clothing. He says, I want you to wear brand humility. I want you to wear brand humility. One size fits all. 1 Peter 3.8, to sum up all of you, be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and what? Humble in spirit. So young to old, be humble. Old to young, be humble. Men to women, be humble. Women to men, be humble. Black to white, be humble. White to black, be humble. He's saying the entire church needs to be wearing the same brand of clothing. It's called brand humility. And that will be one fine-dressed congregation. When a congregation really understands individually that we need to clothe ourselves with humility. Humility is a low view of one's own importance. Humility is being modest, unassuming, and meek. Humility is is recognizing others as more important than ourselves. So, one size fits all. Now, learn to dress yourself. All of you, clothe yourself. See, some people walk into a closet or open their closets, and what's the first thing that comes out of their mouth? I have nothing to wear. I don't have anything to wear. And they have a closet full of clothes. Listen, the next time you hear that, you tell them, put on humility. You haven't worn that in a while. It has a slimming effect on your ego. It really does wonders for the shape of your life. Why don't you put on humility? It's always available to wear. That's what you tell them. Some people fight their parents when it comes to clothes. World War III breaks out with that little princess. I don't like that. I don't want to wear that. Why are you making me wear that? Can I, can I ask you, please stop fighting with your heavenly father? He knows what what looks best on you. And it's humility. And every night, he lays it out for you the night before. And he says, this is what I want you to wear tomorrow. And this is what I want you to wear all day tomorrow. So, So don't be going into the bathroom and getting changed into your pride. Wear humility. Your heavenly father has set it out. Wear humility all day long. And, and, and by the way, be a, be a big boy and be a big girl and dress yourself. See, I, I need to clothe myself. It shouldn't be my spouse helping me to be humble. It says clothe yourself with humility. It shouldn't be your parents helping you to be humble. It, it shouldn't be your employer or your employee helping you 
to be humble. See, we need to address ourselves. We need to apologize for what we know we shouldn't have said. Humble yourself. We need to swallow our pride when we disagree with somebody. Humble ourselves. We need to serve others, not just ourselves. Humble ourselves. One size fits all. Learn to dress yourself. Next, model it for others. And all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. See, we all have favorite clothes that we like to wear. You you pull out clothes that you feel make you feel good. You wear clothes that you feel make you look good. That's why you wear what you wear. Listen carefully. Humility is not about how this makes you feel. Humility is all about how this makes others feel. Humility isn't about how this makes you look. Humility is all about how this makes other people look. Humility you do not model for yourself. That's pride. Humility you model for others. How does this make them look? How does this make them feel? That's humility. It's thinking about others' feelings. It's thinking about how others look. So don't wear it for yourself. Wear it for others. Jesus wore it for others. He's about to go to the cross. He's about to be abandoned by all of his disciples. About to be denied three times by one and betrayed to death by another. And what does he do in John 13? He got up from supper, laid aside his garments, taking a towel. He girded himself and he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel in which he was girded. That is dressing in humility. How does this make others feel? How does this make others look? So when it comes to humility, swallow your pride. When it comes to humility, wear it well. When it comes to humility, pick your team. That's the third thing. Pick your team. Look at verse 5. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Why? Because God is opposed to the proud. That's one team. But he gives grace to the humble. That's the other team. And this is a quote from Proverbs 3.34. Though he scoffs at the scoffers, yet he gives grace to the afflicted. See, the world adores and respects pride. Not God. The world scoffs and disdains at humility. Not God. You know what God teaches us? Team pride always loses. God is opposed to the proud. It always loses because it picks a fight with God who never loses. Pride is picking a fight with God, and God never loses. Pride is this self-conceit and self-centeredness and sinful self-sufficiency that I don't need God, and I don't need anybody else telling me what I should do, and and I don't need the advice of anybody else. I've got it together. Listen, when you dress in pride, you dress in the opposing team's uniform. When you dress in pride, you dress in the opposing team's uniform. And when you dress in pride, God dresses for battle. He says, oh, it's on. It's on. You dress in pride, I'm coming after you. 
Proverbs 16, 5, everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Assuredly, he will not be what? Unpunished. Proverbs 15, 25, the Lord will tear down the house of the proud. Oh, you're so proud. Proverbs 31, the Lord preserves the faithful and fully recompenses the proud doer. He will pay them back in full. You're going to get what you got coming to you, God says. Team pride always loses. Team humility always wins. You pick the team. He gives grace to the humble. You win the prize of God's grace when you are humble. That's God's favor. That's God's blessing. That's God's honor. Proverbs 29, 23. A man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain what? Honor. See, it's the humble who receive the grace of salvation. Some of you have not yet humbled yourself before God when it comes to repenting of your sin. You're still in your pride. You're still losing in this life. And ultimately, you will lose for eternity. It's, it's the humble that come before a holy God and repent and say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm broken over my sin. I need you. I need your mercy. I need your forgiveness. And you know what God does? He gives grace. He gives grace. He gives mercy. You're on the winning team. Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. That's the winning team. Isaiah 66, 2, but to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit, and who trembles at my word. That's the winning team. It's the humble who who receive the grace of salvation. It's the humble who receive grace after salvation. Psalm 10, 17. O Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will strengthen their heart, and you will incline your ear. It's those who are humble that, that find the strength that only God can give is theirs. It's those that are humble that they realize God has a listening ear. He hears the cry of my prayer. Psalm 25, 9. He leads the humble in justice and he teaches the humble his way. There is justice for those who are humble. There is wisdom for those who are humble. Listen carefully. Never forget where there's a lack of humility, there will be a lack of grace. Where there is a lack of humility there will be a lack of grace. God's grace may be absent in our lives because pride is present in our lives. God's grace may be absent in your life right now because pride is present in your life. Grace and pride are like oil and water. They do not mix. They never will mix. So humble yourself before God and you will receive the grace of God. When it comes to humility, swallow your pride, wear it well, pick your team. Fourth, trust God. Say it with me. Trust God. Look at verse 6 and 7. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I want you to notice three areas that we need to trust God. Number one is we need to trust his power. You need to trust his power. 
humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And, and he's calling for immediate action. The time for you and I to humble ourselves is now. And it's a voluntary action. See, listen, I'm not in charge of humbling you. You're not in charge of humbling me. We are in charge of humbling ourselves. Therefore, humble yourself. It was just said, just the similar thing just a moment ago. He said, clothe yourselves with humility. Now he says, humble yourselves. This is something only you can do for you and I can do for me. And, and I want you to notice this. It's, it's immediately, it's voluntarily. And what does it mean? It means place yourself under God's mighty hand. Well, what does that mean? It means acknowledge his power. That God is in charge. It means recognize his sovereignty. That God is in control. Acknowledge his power God, you are in charge. And, and recognize his sovereignty. God, you are in control. So what it's saying here is trust your almighty God with that situation at work. He's all powerful. He's in control. What it means is trust your almighty God with that person that you're married to. And your marriage right now. Because God is all powerful. And God is in control. It means trust your almighty God with whatever problem right now that is so heavy on your heart that you can't even, you can't even talk about it. Because God is all powerful. He's in control. And your God is sovereign. So humility trusts the power of God. Humility trusts the plan of God. That's the second thing we see here. Trust his plan. Say that with me. Trust his plan. And it says here that he may exalt you at the proper time. Now, exalt can mean one of two things. It can mean, exalt you meaning he can rescue you. Literally, the word means to lift or raise up. So, so God can lift you up out of those trials. God can lift you up out of those sufferings. Trust his plan. Trust his timing. It also means, exalt can also mean he not only rescue you, but honor you. And we know that God exalts the humble. It's a very clear teaching in scripture that Jesus taught over and over and over again. When Jesus was teaching on true greatness in Matthew 23, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled. Whoever humbles himself shall be what? Exalted. Jesus taught it in the parable of the invited guests taking the best seats in the place. Luke 14, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be what? Exalted. He taught it with the comparison of the tax collector and the Pharisee in Luke 18. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be what? Exalted. So God's timing of exaltation is always perfect, but it must come with humility first. That he may exalt you. At the proper time. So whether his timing is dealing with rescue, you wait on him. Whether his timing is dealing with exaltation, you wait on him. For Joseph, it was 13 years. 13 long years before he would be exalted to second in command over Egypt. 
after the humility and humiliation of being a slave at the hands of his brothers and at the hands of Potiphar and being lied to, humiliated, thrown in jail, 13 years later, God would exalt him. Some of you have struggled for a good 13 years with something. And you're just tired. God, why? God, why? God, why? You wait on God's timing. You wait on God. You trust him. For Moses, it was 40 years. 40 years until he'd be exalted as leader of Israel, leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. After being humbled and run out of the kingdom and running to Midian, 40 long years. For some of you, it's been 40-some years. It's been hard, and you've been humbled. You wait on God, and you continue to trust him. Wait on God's timing. His timing is perfect. And by the way, his timing will always bring God the most glory. His timing does that. God never exalts anyone until he deems them ready to be exalted. And God's exaltation of anyone comes for the ultimate purpose of God's glory. It's not for your glory. It's not for my glory. It's for the glory of Almighty God. So humility trusts the power of God. And humility trusts the plan of God. And humility trusts the love of God. Trust his love. Look at verse 7. Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Pride is controlling. Pride, pride has to figure it all out on its own. Pride, pride says, I don't need anybody's help. Pride says, I'm going to hold on to this. I'm going to refuse to let go. That's pride. Humility trusts, pride controls. Humility trusts, pride controls. See, humility is trusting, humility is casting. Casting, verse 7, all your anxiety on him. To cast means this unreserved surrender to God. That's what it means. I'm throwing it on him, and I'm throwing it to him. Listen to the words of David in Psalm 55. Cast your burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. David's burden in this psalm was the burden of betrayal of the closest of friends. He was betrayed by the closest of friends, and this burden was too much for him to handle. The pain was too much for him to handle. Listen carefully. Some of you here this morning, the pain is far too great for you to handle. The the betrayal that you have faced, the pain that you have faced, listen, you have got to cast it on God. You're not supposed to be carrying this alone. You're not supposed to be carrying this at all. The burden is too great for you. It is weighing your mind down. It is weighing your heart down. It is affecting every area of your life and relationships. You have got to give it to God. He says, cast all your anxiety on him in verse 7. Listen, nothing is too great for your God to handle. Cast it on him. Nothing is too small. That your God doesn't care for it. If it pains you, he says, give it to me. Listen, if it discourages you, cast it to me. If it depresses you, 
Give it to me, God says. If it confuses you, give it to me. God is saying, I don't want you to carry any worry. I don't want you to have an ounce of anxiety. I want you to understand the freedom that life in me gives you. He says, give it to me. All of it. No matter how great it is, no matter how painful it is, no matter how seemingly trivial it might be to some people, God says, I care for you. And I want it. So cast the memories of the past that have been haunting you. Cast, cast the pressures of today that have been burdening you. Cast, cast the fear of the future that has been paralyzing you. God says, would you please just give it to me? Everything, give it to me. Anything, give it to me. All the anxiety, give it to me. Any worry, give it to me. And it says, cast it on him because he can handle it. He can handle it. He's strong enough. He's wise enough. He's insightful enough. He can take the worst of things and use them for good. He says, just give it to me. Cast it on him. Relieve yourself of the burden and give it over to God. He wants it. Give it to him. Give it to him. Give it to him. Humility lets go. Humility calls on God for help. Humility is willing to tell God, I can't do this anymore. God, I have to give it to you. I give it to you. Why do we cast it? Because he cares for us. He really does care for you. He really does love you. That's why you can cast it on him. I found a note written way back in 2002 when I had taken my four-year-old son on a daddy-son date. He's now 19. We went to Burger King, and uh, he, just, he just blessed my, my life that day. And I had written these things down. And this is what my then 19-year-old son said to me when he was four. He said these words, Daddy, I love you. Daddy, can I sit next to you? Daddy, this is the best date ever. Daddy, can we pray again? Dear Jesus, thank you for the best date ever. Daddy, I love you. Can I tell you something? Knowing that you are loved makes all the difference in the world. Do you understand what God is saying to you today? Man, do I love you. Man, do I care for you. I'll take all of your worry, all of your anxiety, because I love you. Because I care for you. Trust it over to God. When it comes to humility, swallow your pride. Wear it well. Pick your team and what? Trust God. Trust his power. Trust his plan. And trust his love.